Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Unshot.net. My five top tech tools for 2022. As I'm winding down from another school year, yes, I'm one of those schools that does the July provision, I thought I might share with you a few tech tools that have made my life a little bit easier over the last year or so. For once, yes, I'm not going to be spending 30 minutes giving out about the Department of Education or any of its partners. I'm going to go back to my roots and focus on technology and how it can make a teacher's life easier. While I'm going to be speaking from a principal's point of view, I hope you'll find some of these tools useful for your classroom. And yes, if I were the Minister for Education, I'd probably use them in that job too. Hello, hello, this is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net with If I Were the Minister for Education, a weekly podcast where I look at the world of primary education and wonder what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. You can subscribe to this podcast on any of your favourite podcasting apps and please tell your teacher friends or anyone else who might be interested in primary education about the uh, podcast. And if you like it, I'd love it if you left a review for me um, on any of your podcasting apps. Look, I'm sure most of you know, if you're regular listeners to this podcast, that I didn't start my life off as a teacher. I didn't know I was going to be a teacher and I kind of became a teacher by accident because my degree was in computer science and I qualified as a, I suppose, a a coder uh, or what was known as a software engineer when I qualified. And when I became a teacher, I very, very, very quickly became involved in educational technology and uh, I spent uh, my first few years uh, giving uh, loads and loads of courses for the uh, PDST or the P, uh, or the NCTE as it was known back then. And uh, over the last 20 years or so, I've uh, become fairly well known uh, for giving uh, professional development in um, anything to do with educational technology, uh, especially I suppose during COVID, uh, I, I, I suppose uh, I, I was in my kind of element in a way because uh, I had to bring, um, I suppose what I did is I ran a few um, sort of seminars and webinars for uh, school leaders and I think I got to about 2,000, uh, nearly two-thirds of all school leaders in how to change from being an offline entity to being an online entity. And to be honest with you, if I wasn't such a loudmouth, I'd probably be the head of the PDST uh, in technology and education by now. So you'll forgive me if I pretend that I had played my cards right, said all the right things to all the right people and climbed up that greasy ladder until I got to a position where I would be invited to respectable conferences to talk about some useful tools that principals and teachers might be using to save themselves some time and perhaps do a few cool things. What I'm planning on doing right now is to go through some apps and websites that I've found over the last couple of years that I've really liked. Um, These are websites or or applications that I've either found myself or I've seen recommended to me on the likes of Twitter, including one little idea that I actually only found a couple of days ago. So without further ado, let's get straight into it and let me introduce you to the first app, which I promise you will change your life forever. I've been using um, an app called Gmelius 
G-A-M, sorry, G-M-E-L-I-U-S. I'll leave the, no, uh, the link in the show notes. I've been using Gmelius for about three years now, but it's only in the last year that I've decided that I actually part with money for it. If you use Gmail in your job, to me, Gmelius will rock your world. Um, and I have to say, it's one of these kind of uh, tools that you probably wouldn't notice or probably wouldn't even bother looking at if you just looked at their website. You probably just scroll on by because it appears at first to be just one of those apps that allows you to collaborate with your team. There's a lot of those out there, you know, your Monday.com, your ClickUps, your various others like that. And, you know, for teachers, those kind of things aren't that useful. I mean, they're okay, but you're not really going to use them because as everybody knows, a teacher's and a principal's jobs are generally the loneliest jobs in the world. You basically sit in your classroom or in your office and close the door and nobody really collaborates that much. Now they collaborate in a different way, but collaboration software isn't going to be that much use to you. But the thing about Gmedias is it's the other tools within it that I actually believe are well worth the investment. And let me, let me go through some of them. I, I originally came across Gmailius before Gmail allowed you to snooze emails. Now, you may not even know that Gmail lets you snooze emails or schedule emails. So I used to use it back in the early days of it just for that. If I got an email coming in and I didn't want to deal with it, I just hit the snooze button and I'd, I'd let it go away into the ether until I wanted to deal with it. So I might set it for the next week or the next day. Do you know those emails that come in at half four and you just know they're there and you just don't want to deal with them or whatever it might be. I used to snooze them for the next day. Um, and for example, if I, you know, for, um, if I wanted to send an email and let's say it was, I don't know, you'd woken up really early, you know, your baby had kept you awake or something like that and it was half four in the morning and you were kind of awake and you had, you just said, oh, you know, I'll just get my day started and you start your emails. You might want to schedule an email for a respectable time of the day so uh, the person receiving it doesn't look at it going, uh, what is this lad doing at half four in the morning sending emails? Now, the thing about Jumelius, it does email management even better the native Gmail. And this is what I really like about it. So we all know about snoozing emails these days and we know all about that. Um, and, you know, I think what Google does is pretty good. But I feel Gmailius does, it makes it a lot easier and it's a lot better uh, than Gmail's snooze function. Um, now, it isn't certainly going to make you fall in love with Gmailius, but it does it really well. And as I said about the uh, scheduling of emails, um, I think that has it, uh, Gmailius has it as well, and it makes it a lot easier. But again, these days, it's not really a reason to use it because Gmail does it well enough. But what I like about Gmailius in this area is that you can send an email off to someone, okay? And if they don't reply to you, you can set that email to come back to your inbox whenever you want. So, for example, let's say I'm ordering a load of books from some company, and I send an email with my order. And I can then make that email come back into my inbox, let's say in three weeks time, so that if the books haven't arrived, I can send them a gentle reminder to basically say, Oi, um, have those books arrived? Uh, those books haven't arrived. Uh, is there any update on that or whatever it might be? Or if I was a principal who might want to send a, a monthly reminder about, let's say, Kuntus Misuls or something like that, you could then say, you know, at the start of the month, say, hi, everyone, Kuntus Misuls are due in the next week or two. And then I might 
again, uh, set that to come back to my inbox in two weeks time so I can check to see what I've had. And again, just send another gentle reminder. I use the function all the time uh, because I, I'm actually quite, I'm, I can be very forgetful um, about emails that I send. So I might send a reminder of something. And then because I've sent the email, you know, if the person doesn't reply, I might forget that I'd sent it. So it's a really handy uh, tool to have. But again, I don't think that's enough to be parting with seven euro a month. Yes, that's the price of a single license for Gmelius. And I certainly wouldn't pay seven euro a month if that's all it did. But here's some other things it does. I'll start off with this one. And what I like about Gmelius is templates. Templates is a great uh, functionality. Do you know the way you might get similar emails from people? For example, a student from a college might look to be doing their teaching practice or work experience. Well, you can set up a template on Gmelius saying, hi, name of sender as a variable. Thanks for the email. Unfortunately, we have no availability for work experience at this time. Sorry to the very bad news. Wishing you all the best of luck in seeking a placement. Love from me. Um, and now if you're like me, you probably don't want to be typing that message all the time because it takes a few minutes. Um, obviously, when I'm saying love, you say you're sincerely or you're faithfully or whatever, or kind regards. I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know why I said love. Um, I also, but I also love how it's clever enough that when you put in that variable, you heard me saying it's the name of sender variable. What you can do is, and I love this, is that it will recognize the name of the person who sent you the email in the first place and automatically adds their name. So you don't even have to do that, which I think is very clever. Um, so, I mean, that's a really good function. And it's really easy to do because you can access your templates. You simply have a button for templates. There's a list of your templates there. Click on the one that's uh, relevant to you. And it's it, it basically has your entire email there. Um, and you can have several templates for this. I use it a lot uh, for job interviews. So for example, if I've, uh, uh, I'm listing interviews, um, giving interviews, and I have people's times and things like that, I have the general email that I send to everybody else with the time missing. But I, but basically what I can do then is I can just click the template and, and all I have to do is type in the time. And I can do that for the, you know, the 10, 15 people you'd be inviting for interviews. So, you know, I use it all the time and it saves me ages it's um it's great still though i still don't think that would be worth seven euro a month if you ask me now it might be to you but i would want more for my seven euro but the thing that made me part with my seven euro a month was a meeting scheduler now for those of you who don't know what a meeting scheduler is, what it does is it allows me to set up appointment times uh, for people to book a meeting with me. Now, this may be um, unlikely to be very useful for teachers, but it may be useful for teachers. If you, let's say, wanted uh, to set in particular times where you can meet with parents and, uh, and um, you know, it might be, you might set, uh, let's say, you finish school at half two, you might set like from half two to three o'clock and three o'clock to half three to allow parents to meet with you if you want. And they could book, and basically what it can do is, is they can book an appointment to see you. Um, I mean, it's limited enough for teachers, but as a principal, I get quite a lot of meeting requests. And I used to spend an inordinate amount of time toing and froing with the person trying to find a suitable time for both of us. With Gmelius now, I basically set up blocks of time when anyone can book a meeting with me. So instead of going back and forth with the person, that person, I can send them my link to my schedule and that person can click a time that suits them uh, and me and then we meet at that time. It's, it's really, really simple. Now, 
Again, I know Google Calendar has a function that allows people to make appointments. And I know Calendly, for example, also does the same for free. But I actually just love how Gmailia's uh, meeting scheduler, a scheduler because it automatically knows when I'm busy. So, for example, uh, if I slot into my calendar, you know, that I've a, you know, I'm, I'm away at a meeting somewhere else or I'm, you know, I'm busy. I can even put in I'm just busy in my Google Calendar. It automatically blocks that time off. Uh, so people can't book times in with me. I can set a start date, a start time and, a, and an end time of when I can meet. I can set um, kind of gaps between meetings so I don't, uh, so I'm not going from one meeting to the next very quickly. I can set the maximum number of meetings I want in any one day. Um, so these kind of things are really, really handy. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes if you have a lot of, if you meet too many meetings, you need a bit of time to recover from them. And to be honest, again, this tool has saved me loads and loads of time. My only criticism, uh, if I was to have one, is that it isn't great for meetings that aren't one-to-one. -one. So it's good if I wanted a one-to-one -one meeting with someone. But but if I but basically, um, because it doesn't do that, uh, what I use is Doodle. I'm sure people have heard of Doodle. Doodle is another app which allows you um, have meetings with a lot of people. And so that's a little bit of an extra tool if you haven't heard of it. Look, there's lots and lots of features I don't use in Gmailius because either I'm not brave enough or I don't need them. One, one thing I don't use is automatic email replies, which you can set up. So for example, someone might send you an email and you can set rules that will automatically send a, a, a reply without me having to do anything at all. Now, I don't know if I'm brave enough to do something like that, and it probably requires a very automated setup in your, you know, I don't think schools are good for that kind of thing. Um, I also don't use most of the team collaboration tools because Gmailius gets very, very expensive very, very quickly, and I'm not sure how much value I'd actually get if we had everyone on Gmailius. Um, you can also create things called Kanban boards, which I don't fully understand, um, and I'm pretty sure I've lived my life fairly okay without them. Um, and I don't see how much good they are over, let's say, a good a good to-do list. Um, and speaking of good to-do lists, I am going to make that as a good segue to my second recommendation. However, before I do, um, if you're looking at Jamelius, uh, I'm going to leave the link in our show notes. And I absolutely, I highly recommend it to you. It saves me hours um, every week in terms of all those sorts of uh, tools that it does. But let's move on to to-do lists. Uh, very exciting uh, kind of thing. But, you know, sometimes, you know, a good to-do list is worth its weight in gold. And I'm going to look at something that actually isn't a to-do list. It's an add-on to to-do lists. And it's called Sunsama. Okay, and again, I'll leave the link in the show notes. I have to admit, I am reluctantly a bit of a list person. I actually don't want to be a list person. I kind of like that spontaneous life. I go in and I don't know what's going to happen for the day. But I don't think I actually, um, I don't think anyone in school leadership or any kind of leadership position can actually do a really good job without having lists of things to do. You can't really, you know, effectively do your job. I. I, I, I would consider myself very organized as a person, but I don't think I'm naturally organized. Uh, so that's why I feel I do need lists in a way. So I've been using to-do lists in my job since I began, um, it, particularly as a principal, even as a teacher, my, my planning notes and all that kind of stuff were to-do lists of sorts. And my, to -do, my tool of choice for to-do lists hasn't really changed for a long time. And I may have talked about this tool on my uh, podcast before. It's called Todoist. 
Um, and there are loads of to-do lists out there, but I like Todoist. I still really love it. Maybe it's because I've used it for a long time and I just really, really like it. Now, I moved away very briefly from it for about a year to try something called ClickUp um, that did everything that to-do list, Todoist did and way more. But I, I just actually found it too vast in its capabilities and I didn't really need 99% of the things that it did. And I guess much like Gmelius, it had a huge focus on collaboration with teams. And as I said in my job, most of the work that needs to be done only has really me or one or two others to do it. So something like ClickUp um, over, let's say, a normal to-do list didn't really, didn't seem necessary. And it actually just made things more complicated. Anyway, I moved back to Todoist this year and all was back to normal and fine. I had my to-dos to do every day. I'd open up Todoist and I'd have all my list of things. I'd have regular occurrences. So uh, essentially, if I had a job to do every week, every week it would pop up on my to-do list and I'd be able to do it or every month or every parts of times of years and all that kind of stuff. But I found myself not completing a lot of my list every day. I'd have a lot of things sometimes on my to-do list. And I found it kind of frustrating because at the end of the day, I just didn't have things done, especially the work that I didn't really want to do. You know, you'd have maybe five things on the list to do and the most boring of those, I just wouldn't do because it was boring. You know yourself, you know? So randomly really, I suppose probably not randomly the way, you know, you can't actually do anything anymore without getting an ad on Facebook for whatever you were thinking of. You know, I could be thinking of, I don't know, uh, toast right now and all of a sudden I'll get a, an ad for Brennan's on my Facebook. But so I, I was probably thinking about this and I was scrolling around social media and an ad came up for a productivity app called, uh, which came up on my screen and it was called Sunsama. Now, what Sunsama does is it actually helps me plan my day from my to-do lists from my emails and from my calendars and other apps that I might use. It, um, it also uh, integrates with other things like ClickUp, Slack and Notion if you use those. I don't use any of those. Um, so let me tell you how it works because, you know, it probably sounds a bit vague right now. Every morning when I come to school, I take five to ten minutes to plan my day using Sunsama. S-U-N-S-A-M-A. It automatically knows my calendar. So it identifies blocks in my day where I can complete my tasks that I've set through my to-do lists and through, uh, and possibly even through my email, which I think is really good. I'll tell you about that in a second. So the first thing I do is I check my to-do list on Todoist and I can drag and drop the things I want to do that day. So there might be five or 10 things on my Todoist for that day, but I know, I, I might say, well, look, I'm not gonna be able to do all of those things. But I drag the ones that I need to get done. And some, most of the time I do all of them, really, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, I drag them onto some Sama, okay? I then click on my email. Uh, there's a button there for your email. And what it does is Sunsama imports all of my emails that are in my inbox. And I can then drag and drop the emails that I want to deal with um, that day. And I'm not talking about the bitty ones, the ones that take two seconds to reply to. I mean the kind of ones that you need a bit of meat. So for example, it might be an email from an agency asking you to fill in a form, for example. So that's going to take me 20 minutes. So that's something I would put on my to-do list. It's one of those jobs I don't want to do, but I put it on my to-do list. So I can drag that into my Sunsama. And again, I drag and drop all that kind of stuff. 
And basically with those, then I come back to, I look at Sinsama and I have this list of things. There could be, you know, 10 jobs, let's say, to do. And what I do then is I set an estimated time it will take me to do those jobs. I know this is sounding like it takes a long time. It actually takes me very little time to do this. It's very, very quick. And then this is what happens once I, so let's say, you know, 20 minutes to answer this email, an hour to do this particular thing on my list, five minutes to do this, blah, 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 blah. So I set all my times. And then what happens is Sunsama can automatically schedule my day with those tasks. So it sets up basically my timetable for the day, incorporating the things that are already in my Google Calendar. So for example, if I have a meeting a certain time, it knows obviously he's not going to be able to do those tasks while he's in his meeting. And I can incorporate my breaks or I can even do, you know, those emails that take two or three seconds. What I have is a recurring thing that I check my email for an hour a day. Um, and that's, that automatically happens in Sunsama. Um, and essentially what it does, as I said, it's I get my schedule for the day, including paperwork, meetings, plannings, and any tasks I need to get done. And once they're completed, um, so I, uh, once that's done, I have my list of jobs I have to do for the day. Um, and I tick um, each job off as I do it. And they're removed from that to-do list and from my email as well. So once I've completed those jobs. And to me, I know it sounds a bit highfalutin, but honestly, try it's amazing. I mean, I, I know if you ever go to these, um, oh, I don't know if you're a school leader, you might go to these um, workshops where they tell you how to be more productive in your job. And they always say, take five minutes at the start of the day to plan your day. Don't just go in with no plan for the day. This is what, this is Sunsam is sort of like your virtual assistant in doing that. It sets up your day. It's like your, it's like a PA. It tells you, you know, look, this job takes an hour, this job takes 20 minutes, this job takes five minutes. Well, do you know what? The best way of doing those things is tackle tackle your, your, your hour job first. That leaves maybe 20 minutes before your break. You might fit in a 15-minute job here. You know, so it, it slots in your day. It's amazing how much you get done by just doing things in a particular order. And it's really, really good because it keeps my day really focused and it makes sure that I can realistically fit in everything I need to do in a day. Um, it also does things that I think, again, all these um, coaches will tell you to do. It contains a journaling feature. I don't use it, but it does allow you to reflect on your day when you actually, when you shut down. Because when you finish your jobs for the day, even if you don't get them complete, you click a shutdown button to basically say, I'm finished my work for the day. And it's very satisfying, weirdly enough, to basically say, shut down for the day. And that could be whatever time you decide to shut down in your day. And, you know, when you do that, it might. You, some people might like to journal how they did, what went well, what didn't go, what 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 could have gone better, and and so on. And I must say, I do love clicking that shutdown button once I've completed my day because it means my day is over. My only gripe with Sunsama is how much it costs because it's expensive. I I mean, I think it's expensive for what it does. It's sixteen euro a month, which is pretty steep, but. It does save me about an hour or two every day or, you know, which, you know, I think in some ways, I guess that's worth it. There are alternatives to Sunsama out there. One that's uh, heavily advertised if you're uh, on uh, Facebook or YouTube or any of those things is called Motion, uh, which does pretty much exactly the same thing. I just prefer Sunsama because it links in with more apps. And to be honest with you, it's become as clever as Motion. Motion's advantage over Sunsama up until recently was its cleverness in, in structuring your day. Sunsama is now as good as. So that's my second recommendation for you. And we're already 23 minutes into this uh, podcast. So I better speed up. And I'm going to tackle something that's been around for a very long time. 
and it's called Voice Over IP or VoIP. I don't know. I think people just call it Voice Over IP, VoIP. Um, and it's been around for a very, very, very long time. And I'm going to talk to you about two uh, VoIP solutions. Um, and but I, one of them I'm not going to talk about is probably the most famous one of all, which was called, it's just called Skype. I'm pretty sure everybody knows what Skype is. And some would argue it was probably responsible for the older generation of internet users first accessing broadband because they wanted to talk to their children who may have gone off to Australia for the year. Or maybe, maybe, maybe that wasn't the reason they went on the internet for the first time. Maybe it was booking cheap flights somewhere here. But a lot of people uh, wanted to see their grandchildren who might be in America, Australia, whatever it might be. And this was a way to see them via video conferencing or voice over IP, uh, which is what Skype basically is. The pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic brought a new superpower in the voice over IP world. And that was Zoom you know, which is basically a voice over IP solution. And I'm sure many of you are zoomed out and don't want to hear a thing about Zoom uh, since the pandemic. But what Zoom did was for the first time really opened the doors to the entire world of integrated voice over IP solutions where you could use video conferencing for work calls, work meetings, and even your social life and so on. And Zoom being the innovative company that they are, realized that they would have to keep up the ante, up that ante, oh, ante once the COVID pandemic started to end. So they've created a number of solutions. Uh, one of them is called Zoom Phone, which allows people to use a regular looking phone, but calls are made, use, uh, are made using um, the internet, via the internet rather than regular phone lines. And none of this is new technology, but it's very, very rare. Uh, and I think you'd struggle to find many schools that use voice over IP for their actual phone system. Now, I've been aware of voice over IP for a very, very long time, you know, certainly nearly 20 years, but I never really thought of about it much as a solution for a school because I didn't really know what, it would, what a school would use it for over a regular system. And because internet speeds aren't brilliantly reliable in schools, they haven't been up until recently anyway, you know, a regular system with copper wiring and, you know, all that kind of stuff just seemed, you know, why would you bother using a, 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 an internet kind of uh, connection instead of your copper connection, let's say. But in March, I headed over to the UK to the BET conference in London for my first time in about a decade. Now, if you haven't been to the BET conference, I would highly, highly recommend it. Basically what it is, it's an educational technology conference with loads and loads of talks and presentations and it is an edu-geek's dream. I think I'm baking up that word edu-geek, aren't I? But even if you're not a big geek like me, it's still worth heading over. Um, you know, for example, their expo is unbelievable. There are hundreds and hundreds of stands um, and some of them are works of art, probably costing more than your school building. And they exhibit things, anything, ed tech. Now, I did a review of my BET experience on the podcast, and you can listen to it, and I'll leave the link in the show notes as well. Anyway, one stand I spoke about in that podcast was the Zoom stand. Now, when I went there, I saw the Zoom phone for the first time. And it was basically a regular looking phone, which you could make to use calls. And there was also a video phone, like the ones you might have seen on the cartoon, The Jetsons. I don't know if you remember that. If you're old like me, you might remember The Jetsons. And I said I'd have a little look and see what the point of it all was. And you know what? I was really glad I did. 
Because basically with the Zoom phone, not only could it work like a normal school phone, you could set it up on a laptop or a computer, even on your um, even on your interactive whiteboard if you wanted. Now, I'm not saying you would do that, but even on your own on, on the on the phone itself, on your mobile phone, and use any of them as an extension of the school phone. So if I put my Zoom app on my phone and made a call from that app, the person answering the phone would see not my phone number or my personal details, they'd see the school phone number. And this obviously would save people queuing up at the end of the day at the office to call a parent or whatever people do these days. And that's great and everything, but there's more. There's more, a lot more. For example, let's say a parent wants to ring the school and the receptionist picks it up as normal. Even if, But the thing is, what if your receptionist isn't actually at their desk? They've gone off up the, the corridor. What they can do is they can, they, they might have the app on their phone. Once they, uh, once they said, God, I need, to, I need to walk up the corridor and give a message, they can press a button on their, uh, on the, uh, they can basically, uh, the, their, their, their app on their phone can ring as well as the, the, the school phone. So even if they're not at the phone, they can answer on their mobile device if they want. And they don't even need a physical phone um, because actually they can dump their phone and they can actually um, answer on their computer. You can actually put the software on your computer and use your computer like a switchboard, um, which is, I think is very, very cool. Now, let's say that parent wants to talk to a teacher and let's say it's after school and, and the teacher might be available. Well, the receptionist can have a list. They can see a list of all the, the people in the school and the people in the school can set whether they're available or not available on their app. And if they are available, he or she can, the receptionist can transfer the call to that teacher's app or that staff member's app. And the teacher can then take the call. Now, if the teacher isn't available, there are a number of options. For example, we could set up a voicemail for each uh, for each teacher. I, I don't really like that at the moment. Maybe I'll grow into it because, you know, I, I don't know, it's just another thing to, for a teacher to be doing. But what I do like is maybe, for example, an automated email could be sent to the teacher's email if they can't pick up saying, um, uh, saying this phone number tried to ring you um, at this time and you can, you know, work from there. I mean, there's loads of other things you know, one can do, uh, for example, there could be a queuing system for your uh, for your receptionist. So for example, I might be ringing the school and somebody might be already on the phone to the receptionist might say, hello, you are in position one, uh, please wait and the receptionist will be with you or whatever it might be. Um, so that's, I mean, they're kind of tools, like there's loads more I can do. And you know, what I decided to do is I said, you know, it is good enough. I'm going to take the plunge with a decent internet connection in a school. And I basically tried to get Zoom phone into the school. Now, unfortunately, and I have no idea why, despite many, many try, uh, 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 kind of inquiries and many, you know, please uh, find a date on my calendar that will suit you to talk, and blah, 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 blah. The Zoom people just never got in touch with me um, after, you know, an initial conversation. Like, I actually talked to someone from Zoom um, a, a few times. And look, to be honest, it just didn't happen. So what I did after about four months was I just said, you know, I'll just ring a local company in, in, here in Carlo and asked them that they could get me set up on Zoom. And they said, look, do you know what? We don't deal with Zoom. But they had another com company that they deal with who basically do exactly the same thing as Zoom. And it's a company called 3CX. And that's what I'm using now. And you know what? It's as good as. It's great. 
And at its most basic, it's exactly the same thing as our normal phone system, but I'm starting to use functions about being able to ring from my mobile and the school number coming up, as I said before, or making calls from my computer, which is, I kind of find that very cool that I, uh, I can make a phone call from my computer rather than the physical phone. I'm kind of thinking of getting rid of my physical phone uh, because I don't, I don't really need it uh, anymore. I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to exploring more um, kind of things with the uh, with it uh, as I go on. But uh, I really actually would recommend schools, particularly if you've got a decent internet connection in your school, to look at voice over IP. I think now, if I mean, it, it probably has been the time for quite a long time, but now that we've got a decent internet connections in schools now, I think this is the time to move over. I think it's going to be worth it. Let's move on um, to our fourth recommendation. And... Um, it's kind of, I, I, what I, I don't know what to really call it, uh, except for single sign-on, which, which sounds extremely boring. Um, because this is another service I found uh, at BET, and it's been around for years, and you probably use it uh, in your everyday life when you are signing up to a website. You might log on via Google, your Google or your Facebook or your WhatsApp um, or whatever it might be. Um, and, or, you know, and it may mean nothing to you. So let me explain. So... In school, one of the most things that annoys me the most about getting children to use devices in schools is how long it takes for them to log on to whatever app they want to use, or even how long it takes for them to log on to their device. So if you're using a managed Chromebook system, uh, for example, children have to type in their username and password, and by the time they do that, it could be 45 minutes. By the time they've forgotten their username, or they've forgotten their password, or they've made a mistake, and they can't figure it out, and so on. So what I've been doing is I've been using a single sign-on service called Clever.com for the last number of years, which has basically sorted out that problem. What it does is every child in the school gets a unique QR code, so it's a little kind of square code, linked to, a, to their Clever account. And what that Clever account does is a single sign-on solution because it knows their Google credentials for logging onto the Chromebook, but it also knows all their credentials for all their apps. Um, that, uh, so basically, they can access their Chromebook and any of the apps they use without ever having to log on again. They just use the QR code and it saves a huge amount of time and children and teachers don't actually have to worry about typing in login usernames or remembering passwords at all, ever. Everything is just available. Now, Clever.com is probably still not available in Ireland anymore. I signed up a, a, a good few years ago in a kind of a loophole. It is, it, their, their main... Their main kind of, they basically are an American company and they provide to American districts. And I just so happen to get, a, get an account kind of probably by accident. Uh, but there are alternatives out there if that's the case. And I discovered most of them at BET. The most famous one of those is called Wanda, uh, which um, made, was really made its name during the pandemic for free school lunches and things like that in the UK. And they have tried to kind of make a little bit of a, an inroad into Ireland. Uh, but, you know, they still haven't yet. Um, and I, I believe really that's the one to wait for. It's not really that available in Ireland right now, but I do think um, certainly towards Christmas, you're going to see Wanda popping up in Ireland. Definitely one to watch for the future. For now, I don't think it's up to much in terms of SSO, but my understanding, as I said, is wait, wait around Christmas time. This is something to keep an eye on if you haven't started. However, if you're really desperate um, to move to SSO, which you may very well be, um, the other considerations are Cloudwise with their cool solution. And the solution is both called, both, 
both cool and is called cool. Um, and it pretty much does what Clever.com does, but it also adds in in-school device monitoring so a teacher can actually see the screens of their pupils while they're logged in. So that might be worth looking at. Classlink is another similar option. And I was actually very close to signing up to this after my sale, after their own sales pitch to me at Bet. But I'm actually going to see, I'm going to wait and see what Wanda's plans are before I make my next steps. I actually quite like Clever.com and I may not even leave that ever again. Uh, I may not ever leave it, but Wanda, I think, is the one that's going to come into Ireland. Really, if I if I had my if I was a betting man, I'd be saying this time next year, a lot of schools will be with Wanda. Now, to me, single sign-on, as boring as it might sound, I believe is the next game changer in education. Isn't that? I mean, that might sound a bit boring to you, but I kind of think being able to sign on to all your apps using one login is the, is the game changer in education uh, for the next little while. Um, let me move on to my fifth um, tool. And it's not one that's new. Um, and it's it probably if you were in, in the pandemic, it really came into his own as well. But really, I suppose uh, it's been honing since the pandemic is Screencastify. And for me, Screencastify is... Um, Again, by is not it's not a new app by any means, but it's one that I've been using more and more over the last year, and I think it might be one of the most useful ones uh, for those of you who actually work in classrooms, not, not like me in my office uh, doing nothing in my office. This is you know this is for me this is probably the most useful one for teachers. Let's say the classroom. Screencastify is very well known. Um, it's a screen recording tool, and it basically lets you record a video of whatever's on your screen. For me, it's brilliant for making demos uh, to post up onto something like Google Classroom or any of your learning apps, and videos can be shared to your Google Drive or saved to your Google Drive. For example, you might be showing pupils some maths problems on your interactive whiteboard, and if you're running Screencastify while you're doing that, that can record that, um, the, the, what you've done, and then it can be shared onto your Google Classroom so that Children, when they go home, can look at that video again and again and again if they want to with their families and further help the children what's been going on in the classroom. You might also want to show children, let's say, you know, just a random example, you might be showing a video navigating Google Maps as a stimulus for them uh, for some activity around Google Maps. And again, Screencastify can, uh, you know, show you recording. So I don't know, let's say I'm looking for a map of, uh, of how to get to um, my favorite park if I go to my favorite city in the world. Uh, from the airport. Uh, so they might do a similar activity. I'd show you how I would do it and then, you know, that would be saved as a, as a, a screencast and uh, then the children might be able to do their one. Um, so, I, I mean, for me, uh, I just think it's for, pretty useful. Um, the free version of Screencastify allows recordings up to five minutes, which is probably more than enough for most teaching moments. But you can pay a license too, which unlocks some features that might be useful for you and then unlimited time. But I think five minutes is more than enough for to expect a child to be looking at a video of you raving on about something. So there we have it. But you know what? Let's do a bonus tech tool. Isn't that what these list programs do? They tell you, oh, let's do a top 10 moments or a top five tools. And then they add a bonus one at the end. Well, here's mine. You know, I have to be in with the cool gang. So here's my uh, bonus favorite thing and it's one actually only the one I discovered only a few days ago I found on a list on Twitter it's called the profile pick maker which doesn't sound very interesting and uh, but I think it's very it's a cool and very simple tool and it might be useful for you if you're a teacher in your classroom <coughs> and you want to make a groovy looking profile picture of yourself 
So I use the tool for my Twitter profile. So before, a few days ago, if you looked at my Twitter profile, I had a very kind of transparent uh, kind of background and it was a picture of me. And what it did was it filled that background with something kind of nice. Now, mine is fairly plain, but you can have very cool. I'm not, I, I, I don't see myself as a very cool person, so I, don't, I, I picked a very plain background. I think I, I'd look a bit silly if I had something kind of groovy and happy, and, or not happy. I don't know, groovy is probably the wrong word because that sounds very uncool as well. But you know those backgrounds that make you know, cool people look even cooler? Well, I'm not a very cool-looking person, so the, the, you know, when I put a, a kind of a cool background, I just look silly. So essentially, um, what it does is it adds backgrounds uh, to, your, to your profile picture. Um, and um, it's very simple, and that's all it does. But I have to say, they do look very cool if you get the right profile to match your personality. Um, you know, so people who might be business people might put a background of an office or something like that. Someone who might be a, I don't know, um, uh, let me think, is someone who might be a, you know, a, a podcaster. No, not like me, that type of podcaster, a cool podcaster might put like the, the city lights as their background. But then you've got these abstract and creative kind of things. So creative looking people who wear quirky clothes uh, and things like that, who might enjoy, um, you know, uh, have cool hair. They might, uh, you know, have these kind of abstract backgrounds, which uh, with blocks and bits and bobs in the background. And look, it looks really, really cool. But in a classroom situation, because that's what we're focusing on, it might be good. I think it might be a nice activity to take photographs of your pupils, right? And then let them choose a background that suits their personality and then download that picture. And you can very quickly make this really nice classroom display of the child's profile with a kind of a cool background behind them rather than, you know, rather than the wall, let's say. And I know a lot of uh, classroom uh, teachers do that. You know, they, they create a kind of a profile um, uh, kind of their, of their kids and, uh, and, and they're on the wall and sometimes they kind of cut it in half and the child's, the first activity is to kind of draw the second half of your own personality. Why not add a background to that too? Uh, and it looks, it looks really, really nice. So there you go. Uh, I think that's enough tech for one week. And I'm sorry for invading your summer with school-related stuff. I'm still working, so I'm kind of in work mode. Anyway, I hope they're very useful to you when you get back into school, uh, back to school mode. And for those of you who are listening at this time of the recording, which is, by the way, mid-July 2022, I want to tell you of my summer plans for this podcast, which are coming your way. Next week, I'm going to be releasing my... Uh, uh, next interview um, about early childhood education and because Zoom uh, has stopped doing its free um, account for education people I'm moving to a different platform so I'm hoping it kind of works um, and uh, I'm going to be doing my first interview using that platform uh, but it's going to be all about early childhood education as some of you know there's been a lot of talk about childcare uh, in the news about facilities closing down and not enough places for young children uh, and even the cost of it going absolutely sky high and I'm always wondering why early childhood education is a private sector job and primary education is a public sector job. And I've done, um, I, I have this kind of, what I would do if I were the Minister for Education is I'd actually bring early childhood education into uh, into primary education, sort of. But really what I'd be doing is I'd be taking away infant education and moving that into early childhood education. But I'd have early childhood education as, as a public service. And so um, I'll be talking to someone 
about that and uh, you know seeing what their thoughts are on um, on my theory and maybe uh, she'll uh, throw me a few uh, ideas that I haven't thought of. Uh, after that I am going to be doing a special summer series and um, yes over the last couple of years during the summer holidays I kind of pick a subject and I give it a big thorough seeing to uh, going through um, basically uh, that that topic over a f- over a good number of weeks so a real big seeing too. Um, I started off a few years ago looking um, at um, small schools. Uh, I did that a few years ago. Uh, I think it was a five-part series on how do we deal with small schools. And um, essentially, um, the last couple of years really were dominated by COVID-19. So I had a couple of series on COVID-19. And this year, I'm getting away from all that. uh, And I'm finally going to tackle something that I've really wanted to talk about for a very long time. And that's DRID, uh, which I argue has been the most divisive initiative to ever happen in primary education and how its introduction has had a massive impact in the education world ever since. Now, these podcasts will probably take us through the whole of the summer holidays and then I suppose we'll see what the lay of the land will be like in September 2022. And we'll be talking about, obviously, other things as we come on. I'm kind of hoping, after the last few years, which has been absolute chaos, that uh, I'll be able to actually um, talk about nice things in education. I found myself, for the last few years, actually just being a curmudgeon, giving out stink. And to be honest with you, doing this uh, podcast episode in the middle of the summer, something really positive, something I really like, educational technology, and doing something nice about it, I find that quite refreshing for myself even. It's not easy giving out all the time, although you might think I get a kick out of doing it. But there we have it. I um, will see what the world looks like in September 22. I hope it's going to be a good one. If you're listening to this and you're finishing up for the uh, for the July provision, uh, which I presume you will be if you're anyone like anything like me or if you're in the middle of your uh, school holidays i hope you're enjoying them and i hope you enjoy the rest of your summer break um and um listen uh we will uh, hope you uh, enjoy what's coming up over the summer uh, as i will be on every week no rest for the wicked and uh thanks so much for listening to my tech tips so there you have it, uh, another week, um, another podcast, and this one, a nice, positive, friendly one. Why not? Let's do something positive. Look, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please feel free uh, and please, please consider subscribing to it. And please feel free to leave a review if you've enjoyed it on whatever podcasting platform you use. That's Apple, Spotify, Google, all the rest of the gang. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you again this week. We'll catch you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. All the very best. Bye-bye.